welcome to episode 10 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Prismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we talk about religious traditions and the way they impact our faith, the signs of the Old and New Covenant, and how we can reimagine the ways that we connect with God today. One quick disclaimer on today's episode. On the front end of the show, we share a, a pretty funny story of some travel experiences we had earlier on in the week and later last week. If you don't care to listen to that, you're welcome to jump right ahead to the 20-minute mark where we dig into our conversation from the message on Sunday. Well, thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Hey guys, how we doing? Good Monday morning so far? Yeah, so far so good. Glad to be uh, sitting here in Prescott. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. Here's the, here's the uh, quick uh, get to know you question of the morning. Um, Josh, have you ever ran out of gas on the freeway? You know what? <laughs> I actually don't think that I have while driving, yeah. not on an interstate a major interstate at that. I've actually never ran out of gas, period, while driving. Jason, have you <laughs> ran out of gas while driving? Y'all coming for me today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, you got to go from the beginning. You got to start the story at the beginning. Okay. Do you want me to start the story start and then the you story. can interject? Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll, start the, I'll start the story. So this past week, Jason, Josh, uh, David, our worship arts pastor, and I, I took a quick little trip uh, to a conference. There's this great uh, conference called Spire. It's a bunch of churches that are, are a lot like us. A lot of them came from rest- the restoration movement, similar to us, and uh, always good for networking. You know, we learn a lot. There's sessions and breakouts, all sorts of stuff. So we were excited this year to go as a little bit of a team. Now, the the part of the story where it's turned sideways pretty quickly was uh, it's in Orlando this year. So we, dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Y'all know what's been going on in Orlando. So we, um, on Sunday of last week, uh, jetted out right after um, around 11.30 or whatever time it was that we left Prescott and drove down. And on the way out, there were a couple of people that asked, like, hey, you guys still going? And I was like, yeah, why why wouldn't we go? And they were like, oh, there's that hurricane. Like, they're saying there's supposed to be a hurricane. I was like, ah, they always say there's supposed to be a hurricane. It's not going to be that big of a deal. That was my position. I'm, I'm always like, a, ah, it's not a big deal until it is sort of guy. So I was downplaying the, the whole thing. And too, that's a, we had a guy from there, yeah. David, who didn't seem like it was a big deal. That's, yeah, we can always lean back on that. Yeah. He is literally from Orlando. Like, yeah. that's where he's. Yeah, just north of there. Yep. Just grown up and lived there his whole life. So we trust so, the expert. 100%. So we get out there. We do day one of the day one of the conference, which was Monday. And then like during, I Josh and I and David were sitting in the session during the thing, people were talking about like their flights, being concerned about their flights being canceled. And I was like, why would your flight be canceled? What's going on? So get through Monday, not that big of a deal. Some people are concerned. I'm, I'm not. Get into Tuesday and uh, midday on Tuesday, everyone is concerned, right? We're sitting, we get 20 minutes into the, the big session on Tuesday afternoon. And that's when I get the email that says, hey, the Orlando airport is closing tomorrow at 11 o'clock or whatever time it was. And I was like, uh-oh, because our flights are out of Orlando uh, two days later, whatever, like mid-hurricane. So like, that's probably not going to happen. So at that point, 
I had already changed the flight once to try to get out, I think like Wednesday night or whatever it was, try to get out a little bit early to try to miss the, the landfall. And at this point, it's like, oh, now I've got to try to get flights out of Orlando prior to them closing the airport, which I very quickly realized wasn't going to happen. Right. right. So we you actually had already changed it too to Wednesday at like 1130. Yes. And it closed at 1030. 1030. That's, that's what it, it was. Yep. So I had already changed the flights twice at this point, thinking like, oh, yeah, we'll just keep pushing it up until, until we get flights that we want. Well, at this point, it's like, hey, no more flights out of Orlando before it closes. So that's just not an option. We're not going to find one. It's like, ah, okay. So then we started thinking, what's the next best option? So we were looking at other airports in the area. There were some people at the conference that were like, oh, we're going to go south to Fort Lauderdale, someone said. There was someone that was going up to Tallahassee, someone to Jacksonville. So we started, I started looking at all those flights, trying to figure out the rental car stuff. Can we take this car that was supposed to just be a standard rental car and go one way with it? And finally, we landed on the best option for us is going to be to drive to Atlanta, which is only six hours. It was a pretty... It was a fine drive. Drive to Atlanta, drop the rental car off in Atlanta, catch a flight from Atlanta out. And the original flight was like, uh, what was it, Wednesday at three in the afternoon. So we had time to drive. And then we just decided, you know, it's Tuesday at four o'clock. If we leave over the course of the next couple of hours, we'll make it with plenty of time to Atlanta if we drive overnight. We'll get there, and then we can catch an early flight out. It was like a 6 a.m. one-way straight to Phoenix from Atlanta. I'm like, wow, that's probably the most wise plan at this point. You're welcome to take the story over from from here, Jason. Okay, so I think we're downplaying the Atlanta piece a little bit because we say, ah, Orlando to Atlanta, it's not that big. It's like saying we're going to move our flight from the Prescott Airport to LAX. Yeah, no, I recognize that. It's actually... LAX is actually closer to Prescott than Orlando is to Atlanta. So it's it's a it's a jaunt. But when you're choosing between driving to Atlanta and being stuck in a hurricane until Saturday, for sure. Not yes. that big of a deal. Uh, right. And part of it, our guy, who again, David, looked at us Tuesday afternoon and was like, Hey, we should probably leave. It, yeah. Here and it's gonna get a lot of rain. Uh, roads may be bad going north. Everybody's trying to get out of the state of Florida. That we was the probably, primary. Yes. That was the primary concern. Is like we're going to hit seventy five. Was it? Yeah, I seventy five, and it's going to be bumper to bumper all the way to Atlanta. That was my concern from the beginning. Is like, oh yeah, you you guys. I didn't want to leave to yeah. to begin with. I was like, oh, I don't want to. You know, try try to get the most other conference that we can. That sort of thing. And I was like, oh, no, people run out of gas on the freeway, yeah. and then there's backups. And it's like, yeah, we might as well just drive overnight. And the Atlanta airport. If you have not flown out of the Atlanta airport, at least checking into security. For anybody who is a regular traveler, the Atlanta airport is hours upon hours. I will say that about Sky Harbor down in Phoenix. They have a lot of checkpoints. You usually do go pretty swiftly. Atlanta, it is like you could step in that line. It's an hour and a half, and there's nothing you can do. It was Yeah, it's it's. there's a lot of potential for things to go sideways. Yes. Okay, so we jump in the car. It's, I don't know, four or five Six. When did we leave? Seven. Like six or seven. Uh, yeah, it was like six thirty by the time we left the yeah. uh, Orlando. So we pack up and we head north out of Orlando about seven o'clock, getting dark, spitting a little bit of rain. We have a rental car. It's a Subaru Outback. I think is what we're having. It's, it's one great car. That's what, I'll, I'll tell you what. That's <laughs> back. So, so we're, do, we're driving our Subaru up north. Uh. I think you, Brendan, started driving, and mm-hmm. we s- drove a couple hours and got some supper. 
stopped at some little dive. I don't even know some little town in northern Florida, so. Leesburg, I think, or something like that. Lee's something, I think that's true. Yeah. And then after we ate at this little dive, we I jumped in the car and started driving, and so. We're heading north, and everything is looking good. Josh is my co-pilot, and we're running out of gas, um, and we we just drove like for a while. And Josh finds a Bucky's, and everybody in the car gets excited. I've never been to a Bucky's, and all of a sudden everybody's excited because there's a Bucky's right up the road. And so um, it was my first adventure into Bucky's. And so we're driving and Josh is doing the math here. Here's it's this many miles. And I'm looking at our little Subaru and it's got one of those little dials that says how many miles you have left in the tank. Like, and it said like 60 miles is what the the dash said. 60 and, miles. And Bucky's was about 55 miles <laughs> to the exit. I don't think it was that close. Oh, <laughs> I think it was, no, I think it was like 26 or something right. like that. It was no. like half. When we first saw the first Bucky's sign, it 55 miles to Bucky's, you looked down and we were 60 to 70 ish miles. Mm, okay, Even okay. still, our Should normal cars, we feel good about. Right. We, there was there was a margin. There was a yes. little bit of margin. Of course, yes. And so we're driving and we're counting it down, and the Bucky signs are getting bigger, and we're we're almost to Bucky's. And and it says like one mile little over two miles to Bucky's or whatever the thing was. And, and I looked down and all of a sudden the numbers have disappeared off of how many miles you have left. And it was just four dashes across and somebody <laughs> said it. Who said it? Somebody, it was Josh, gosh. what did you say? I, I just started counting down. I was yep. like, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Like thinking we were that close to the exit, we're all going to experience Bucky's. Yes. And when I hit zero, who? When our night changed. <laughs> so it's like two in the morning at this point. Yeah. We won one. It was one thirty. Yeah. One thirty in the morning. And we're on I 75. And he hit zero. And I look down and I say, oh, it, there's. There's no more numbers. It just has <laughs> dashes. And then I stepped on the gas <laughs> and there was a, there was nothing. And we're in the middle of of we're in the middle lane on I-75 headed north. And there was significant traffic again. Yeah. People are trying to get out of Florida. <laughs> and so I hit the gas and there's nothing. And I was like, "Boys, we we just ran out of gas." And in the left-hand lane yeah, and so I'm, I got, I'm, I'm trying to get over at this point. I got but without truck. touching the brake, right? You're right, not, yeah. you're not, yeah. And we're going uphill. It was uphill from where we were. Like the the coasting was done. We were going uphill, and I've got a truck behind me, and he's beeping. I'm like, dude, if I could, if I could do something, I would. I, if I could go, I, I. And so we finally make it over to the shoulder, and <laughs> and we turn the we turn the car off, and we're just sitting there. And we see up over the hill. You couldn't see Bucky's yet. Again, it, we're we're um, it, the sign says one mile to the exit, and we're like, oh, what are we what are we doing? So, so we sit there for a second. And then Brendan's like, oh, well, 
I guess I'm just going to Bucky's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did just jump out. <laughs> he did. Because again, it's 1.30. In the morning. Flight leaves. 6 a.m. Yes. Atlanta airport. And we still got we're, a little ways. We're all doing the math. We're two hours out of Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. And we still got to return the rental car. And so, yeah, there's still stuff. And so Brennan gets out and I'm like, well, I guess I'm going with him. I did not go. <laughs> Josh, I stayed in the car. Josh, David, you, you guys sit in the car. You yeah. just wait here. And yeah. it's... Again, it's a mile to the exit. That's what the sign said. That's what the sign says. But I think what we've realized at this point is those are more estimates. 100%. Because <laughs> it was not. It was more than a mile. And so <laughs> it's 1.30 in the morning. Cars are flying by. And we're on the shoulder. And walking up the hill from the car to the Bucky's. And, and I'm looking at Brendan. I'm like, again, doing the math. It's going to. It's going to take a little while. We got to get gas. And then we got to walk back. How are we going to? This is 30 minutes at least, probably. How are we going to? And so I just look. I, so I started jogging. Okay. So now it's 1.30 in the morning. And I'm running. Not running. Running's that's loose. That's very loose. Yeah. So I'm jogging up the interstate. And Brennan's like, what are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, we got to get there. Now again, we've we've covered this on past episodes. Brendan is a runner. He did injure his foot last week. If you caught the podcast, so he was doing some running and hurt his foot. Um, I'm just old, so I, my feet are fine, and so I'm running up the interstate. Cars are flying by, but my problem is I can only run like 90 feet at a time. So that's <laughs> I'm I'm I played basketball and baseball. You just run 90 feet at a time. That's all you do. And so I start jogging. And Brendan decides, well, I guess I'm going to jog too. And so then he starts jogging and he's young and he can run further. And so I jog for, I don't know, three, four minutes maybe. Yeah, it was a couple of minutes. And then Brendan jogs and then he just runs right past me because then I have to stop and lay down and have a cigarette or something. I don't know, right there on the interstate. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Then Brendan, but he didn't stop. Brendan's just like, I see ya. So he just left me there in the dark, running up the hill from the car up past Bucky's, and he's just gone. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess he's doing the thing. So I walked for a few minutes, and then I would run some more, and then I'd walk a little bit, and then I'd run some more. And next thing I know, I see, uh, I don't know, 300 yards in the distance, some brake lights come on. And a car pull over, and I thought, oh, somebody stopped and going to help us. Brendan gets in the car <laughs> and drives off. Like, legit just left me out there. 100%. By myself. So I have to continue to run the mile and whatever to, to Bucky's. So, so, and I didn't realize you were that close because I looked back and you were gone. I, I made the assumption that maybe you went back to the car or you just were going to walk the rest of the way. So I didn't even see you from where I was. Uh, that felt like a shot. I, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> I will say it was really, y'all got like two minutes out and I couldn't see you anymore. Yeah, it was dark. And it, it was dark. It's black. And it's, uh, and it's scary because like these truckers, you, you, you're literally, it's a six foot shoulder. I mean, it's not like we're, we're 25 feet from the, 
No, no, no. It's a six foot shoulder, big enough, uh, maybe 10 feet, big enough to get your car on, right? That was it. And so we're running in this thing. Neither one of us has got flashlights or anything. We're just running on the side of the road. And these truckers are flying by and trying to brush us over. But so I get to the edge of the the exit and like Brendan's gone. I'm like, you punk, what did leave the old man out here? And so then I, he calls me. Oh, I'm at Bucky. Somebody gave me a ride. Uh, do you want to go on back? To-? I said, I'm here. And so I had already <laughs> ran down there. And so at that point, we did get our gas and Brendan made a friend. Yeah, yeah. So I got picked up by a guy named Bert. And uh, so mind you, we're in South Georgia at this point. We have We have crossed the border from Florida to Georgia. And if you've spent any time like either in South Georgia or in the Panhandle, there's a real like distinct accent from that part of the country. And he rolls rolls down the window and he uh, in in the accent says, hey, you want to ride? And I didn't think twice. I I should have thought twice. I didn't. I said, yes, I do want to (laughs) ride. He's like, get me to Bucky's. I need to get some gas. So I jump in and turn, come to find out Bert's borrowing this car from a friend, did him a favor. It's not his car. He's just driving it up in the middle of the night to Georgia from Florida and uh, so he drives me over to Bucky's. We get some gas and he actually hangs out and then he drives both Jason and I back all the way back to the car. Uh, fill up with gas and we're, we're on our way. So, Well, I think to put a little context with Bert, Bert was a truck driver. He was, yep. And one of the funny lines in this, okay, so here's something you, if you don't know this about Bucky's, Bucky's does not allow semis in their gas stations, right? It is just for for cars and, and small trucks. So no semis are allowed, you know, and that's kind of something they hang their hat on. Like you're not going to get bowled uh, uh, over by a bunch of semis at Bucky's. So right. we, as we're pulling in, um, Bert makes the comment, you know, it's funny, they don't let any truckers in here. <laughs> Yet everything in here got here because of a trucker. <laughs> he was a little bitter. <laughs> there was a little bit of that. And so, yes. Yeah, so as we're getting, get the gas, do the thing, get it, had to buy the little gas can, get the gas. And we start to head back and Bert takes us back and we're in this little hatchback and he, the seats are, I'm in the back. <laughs> the seats are down and there's crap everywhere. I don't even have a place to sit. I'm literally kind of like, uh, sitting like a catcher on this on the back of the <laughs> folded down seat in uh. Bert's car. And then so we come back down toward the car. Uh we get off, do a U-turn. Bert Bert takes us off the U-turn back around to the other side of the interstate. And we pull up behind a car. It's like, oh, there's our car. And then we get out and realize, oh wait, that's Actually, not our car. There it's, was. It's a different car with its hazards on in the right-hand shoulder a quarter mile from our car. Right? What are so, the odds? So we get out, and we're like waving Bert goodbye, and then we walk up to that car. Like, oh, wait. Oh, who are these people? And what, what, Wait, that's not us, Bert. Sorry. We got to go to a different car. So I don't know what their story was, but they were there, too. And so we did finally get our car, get our gas, and wave bye to Bert, and he was great. And Jason wasn't driving anymore after this. No, then David (laughs) jumped in and drove us to Bucky's. And I will say, it was a completely tainted Bucky's experience for all of us. Yeah. It was jumping, though. 1.30 in the morning, y'all, Bucky's was hopping. A whole lot of people. There was a whole lot of people. There was a guy in a 
Cadillac with a uh, like a spoiler fin on the back. He, <laughs> he had worship music at a level at one thirty in the morning that even I was like, man, I love Jesus. He, but that is loud. That you, it was. It's like dog was in the front seat with him. And I'll mind you again, we are in South Georgia. I'm like, whew, this is a little dicey. A guy was coming out at 1.30 in the morning. He had three bags of charcoal. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I what's, remember that. what's happening, man? And, and you couldn't tell. Was this just traffic from everyone leaving Florida? Or is it just Bucky's at 1.30 in the morning? It was a... And yeah. It was an experience. And the guy the sitting in there with his worship music, he didn't seem like he was going anywhere. Nope. Like he was just sitting there and having his own concert and singing to people as he was. He wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't buying yeah. anything. Nope. wasn't getting gas. Nope. Just, just parked there. and enjoying his worship music on behalf of everyone. Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> it was an experience. And so it ruined it did. It did ruin our Bucky's experience. It did. And so... And they didn't have any brisket ready. We couldn't get a brisket sandwich. It was, yeah. it was, uh, but we made it back. All of our wives we were thrilled that we weren't stuck in Orlando, Florida for yeah. an extended period of time. So that's two in a row for Brendan and I going to Orlando, or Orlando that have not been awesome. In the last six months. So we're not going back. Yeah, so, we've made the decision. I, I thought I had made the decision prior to you that I'm just not a Florida guy. And now I'm even less a Florida guy. Um, so. It confirmed it for me as well. Yeah. Well, taking a jog up I-75 at 1.30 in the morning, that that will taint yeah. my Bucky's experience Forever. Yeah. It was uh. cold, too. This, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was freezing. Cold. It wasn't. Uh, the cold is a, I was sweating. very relative. Yes, we were. In the car. <laughs> <laughs> with those semis driving by so fast, guys, it was chilly. Oh, so, geez. So, yeah, that was, that was our uh, Florida experiment. Okay, so I think the takeaway from this is. Don't let Jason drive. No, no, no. Don't trust the little numbers on the Subaru. I feel like there should be more margin. We didn't get 60 miles. We did not. Yeah. We did not get 60 miles. I'm with you, man. My car, I can get it to zero and I got five more miles. No, we didn't ever get nope. to 60. And I drive a Subaru and it's like the same thing. Mine's fine. My gas gauge works great. <laughs> There's a lot of man in that car. <laughs> so <laughs> like that, that has something to do with it. There's a lot of, there's oh, a lot man. of suitcases. Well, carrying a little extra weight. Yeah. You think that's the So same? we okay. just, we ran out those miles quicker than <laughs> Subaru anticipated probably. Yeah. Yeah. But needless to say, you're right. I don't know if I'm getting the Subaru. <laughs> you are right. I don't know. I don't know that there's a lot of big guys that are like, yeah, Subaru, that's my car, right? <laughs> like, I don't think it's their market necessarily. Yeah. I don't think they're coming for me. <laughs> yeah. Full-size pickup truck guy. Here. Right. Right, right, right. All right. Well, enough of that. Uh, hey, let's dig into Sunday's message. Jason, you did a good job with a, a fun bit of text that needed a lot of context uh, brought to it as a result of the, the subject. So, uh, tell us uh, more about circumcision. Well, I'll just say this. The the funny part was when I would turn in every service and say, what exactly is circumcision? I've got a graphic to help us out, a before and after. And as I would turn, there was like an audible gasp in the room. Yeah. So there was a few parents in Prescott Valley, because that's where <laughs> I was this Sunday, who read the text uh, beforehand and talk to their kids about what it was oh, yeah, to yeah. kind of prep them. And one of the one of the guys said, right when you said that, he like covered his son's <laughs> eyes. Like, oh, oh gosh, no, so not a video. So they like, which is really cool that they were kind of prepping beforehand, having those conversations with their son. But they're like, I did not think we were going there, Jason. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. 
<laughs> That's so funny. Well, I think the the cool thing, what, what we were talking about a little bit before uh, jumping on here was just this idea that in the New Testament, we see a lot of um, using this language of, of this tradition of circumcision, um, but using the language less in a physical sense and more, hey, we're talking about it. it's a heart issue. But you mentioned, Jason, that we actually even see that in the Old Testament. So I want to dig into a little bit of, of where you find that, because I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so it, I could give you three or four different texts. Let me, let me share two that I think are probably the most succinct. Um, if you go to Jeremiah chapter 9, so this would be a good one if you want to dig into this a little further with your uh, life group. Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 25, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. So even back then, there was this understanding that circumcision was in the flesh, but it was more than that. And God says, I will punish those who are circumcised only in the flesh. It says, Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all, <clears throat> and all who live in the wilderness in distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised, and even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. So we, we get this picture that circumcision was never alone. This outward ritual was never alone to be the thing that gets people right with God. It was a, it was a reflection of what God was doing in a person's heart. And God says in this text, Look, I'm going to punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. It's supposed to be a heart issue that is reflected in the flesh, and you can't just do the flesh without the heart. So there's one of them. Let me give you one more. This is in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30. Let's see here. Oh, I just lost my Bible here. This is uh, verse 6. It says, The Lord... Your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So this is the promise of when God blesses his people. This is kind of the the fulfillment of God's prosperity toward his people, that he's going to bless his people. They're going to get punished when they do bad things, but he's going to bless them when they're being obedient. And that's the promise of the blessing. Like, the Lord will circumcise your hearts. It's not just about the body. It's about your hearts and the heart of your descendants. So it wasn't just for these people. It was for everybody who comes later. So that, here's the purpose of the circumcision, so that we may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and lips. So even in the Old Testament, there is this expectation that the circumcision is just a reflection of the thing that's going on on the inside. As I tried to say several times during a message this week, those outward things, including circumcision, can never replace. They are not a replacement for the thing that's going on on the inside. It's a reflection of the thing that's going on on the inside. Yeah, Deuteronomy 10, 16 says the same thing. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and but he, he adds in, don't be stiff-necked any longer. Just that idea of there's no change on the yeah. inside, right? You're hard-hearted. You're doing all of these things. That's not what it's about, right? Yeah. It is this. You know, it is interesting, though. I was talking with somebody yesterday. So when I was a kid, 12, 13, reading the Bible for the first time, I get to uh, Colossians and Galatians, really Galatians, um, but really all the New Testament, and they talk about circumcision. And I'm like, I, I don't know what, 
what are they talking about? Right? So there is some confusion along this, this issue. Um, but I, I do love how you said the biggest piece of circumcision was that it connected them to the people of God. It made them the people of God. And with that came hope. Right? That was such a big piece of, out of this message. Is they weren't just now like, these circumcised people walking around. No, they had the, the hope of there is one day coming a Messiah. There is a God who has set his affections on you. There is a God who loves you. And this is the marker that you can tell all of the world about, right? This is the thing that shows that, that shows, hey, I've entered into this covenant relationship with you. And so it really was a big deal. And so we do have to understand it because there is so many references, like you said, Brendan, in the New Testament to it. And if you don't know, we kind of get lost and we're like, well, I don't understand. And that's where I was. And there may be some of you who were like that yesterday, like, man, I'm so glad we talked about this because I read the New Testament. I'm like, why are we talking about circum? This is weird. Yeah, 100%. That's why I think the context of it was so helpful and just helping um, people understand. And we'll get to this a little bit later in the application component towards the end of the podcast. But the reality is, like, we're talking about this tradition of circumcision, but there are modern day things that probably take a very similar place, right? When we're talking about this idea of um, making sure that the outward, like if the outward uh, tradition or practice is not actually drawing you closer to the gospel of Jesus in the way that it affects your life, like it is meaningless, yeah. right? Uh, but that it can be really, really powerful if, if it is doing that. So I do want to talk about maybe some things in our modern culture that that have taken that place um, within the church. But before we get to that, I do have a question. It was a little bit of a play on the question that came up on Sunday, if you guys are, are ready for it. Uh, so the question is this. Uh, essentially, since outward things don't matter, is what this person heard, since outward things don't really matter, does that mean uh, that really we don't need to be baptized? Yeah, that's a good question. And <clears throat> I think the the thing that we need to remember here is the the act of circumcision, it mattered. Okay, so in the in the old covenant, it mattered. Like uh, you can go back and read a story in uh, Exodus chapter four. So Moses is there with his wife and their kid, and Moses did not circumcise their son. He forgot to circumcise their son, and God sends an angel and is going to strike down Moses and his son because he did not circumcise. And luckily. Uh, Mrs. Moses grabs a flint knife and circumcises the boy and saves their life. Like, so to say that it didn't matter, it did matter. God commanded it. As we go into that text in when God first gave circumcision as a sign of the covenant to Abraham, he said, you must do this. This is a command from God. You must be circumcised. Everybody in your house must be circumcised. <clears throat> all of your servants, all of your sons, all of them must be circumcised. And if someone doesn't, they are cut off from their people. So that's a little bit of a play on words there. You do the cutting off or you will be cut off there in that text. If you don't circumcise, you'll be cut off. So it did, it did make you a part of the covenant people of God. However, it, it doesn't make you a part of the covenant people outside of the faith that goes with it. And I think baptism is the same. Uh, we could talk about it in the same way. My point this weekend was not in any way to diminish the value of baptism. Like Jesus says, go make disciples. Well, how do we do that, Jesus? Matthew 28, 
18 through 20. You do that by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So baptism is a very important piece. Every salvation story throughout the book of Acts has baptism at the centerpiece of it. So we're not going to We're not going to diminish the value of baptism. My point was not to say, uh, I framed it this way, right? You have three steps. There was the faith step, the repentance step, and then the sign of the covenant step. We're not going to diminish step three and say that it isn't necessary. What we were trying to accomplish this weekend is to say, you can't just do step three and think that you're in. Like You have to do these in order. It's like there is an expectation of faith in Jesus. There Every, again, every baptism story in the book of Acts starts with someone who surrenders by faith to Jesus. There is a point of faith followed by repentance. We go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he's, he preaches the first gospel message to all of these Jews from all over the world. And, and they ask Uh, Peter says, you've killed God's son. And the text says that they were cut to the heart. Like they like, oh no, which you read cut to the heart. You know what that means? They believed him. Like they knew, oh my goodness, you're right. We are on the outs with God. We killed his son. And they respond with the question, what shall we do? Like it wasn't what shall we believe? It's what shall we do? They understood there has to be something that we do. There is an act of repentance that needs to take place. And Peter responds with, here's what you do. You repent and you be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're not going to diminish the sign of the covenant piece. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. What we're trying to accomplish is say, you can't just do the sign of the covenant piece without first having the faith and the repentance piece. So they have to go in order. The sign of the covenant is really important. Um, it just can't stand alone. The outside thing is important. You do that, but you it means nothing without the faith, without the repentance. So that goes back to my idea of if it was just about getting dunked under the water, then anybody who's ever done a cannonball would be in. We know that's silly. It has to come as a result of faith that, re- that causes us to walk in faithfulness then that sign of the covenant is a reflection of what God has done in us. It is not a replacement for what God does in us. Yeah, two things. First, so that whole group in the book of Acts in chapter two is all Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And so they have been circumcised, right? So they are they had this idea of what a covenant is. And so they're saying, well, there's a new covenant. Yep. How do we enter into that? What does that actually look like? Oh, repent and be baptized. Mm-hmm. Like so to them, they it it made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. It was now the marker of this new identity as God's people within a new covenant. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why baptism is so important. It is the signal of this ushering in, in the name of Jesus. We can never lose that. Right. That Because they were being baptized for repentance in John's name. I was just reading in Acts today when Paul's in uh, Corinth and he meets the guys and he's like, hey, have you been baptized? Uh, which one? Well, uh, the baptism of Jesus. We didn't know there was one. We only been baptized by this. No, no, no. You want to be baptized. And it specifically says he baptized them in the Lord Jesus's name. Right? Just such an important piece of that. And so, yeah, I'm with you. We don't ever want to diminish that act. It is the 
a marker that you and you have now entered into the new covenant, which clearly says you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we want to make sure that people are living out that that faith. But it's not the like you, you said it too at the end. But it's not the end of the journey. Baptism Correct. isn't the end, right? Right? You know, I, baptism is not. Oh, I've done the thing now. I'm done. No, no. Baptism is if there's a really long hallway. So many of us think we walk down the hallway, we get to the door, we're baptized, we've made it. No, no. no. The door is baptism that you open up to the long hallway now of life, and you're going to walk this the rest of your days. The baptism is kind of that marker. You know, we we actually had a baptism this weekend in Prescott Valley. Uh, so older lady, her name is Linda. Such a cool moment for our church. That was really awesome. Uh, so. She's sitting in the water, and you can see her excitement. And Corey, um, uh, one of our pastors on staff, had been chatting with her for a couple of weeks, and she was so excited to do that. She actually invited her neighbor, who was a part now of our like first-time class. It's just a, just a really cool thing. But so she goes under the water, guys, and she comes out with her hands both up in the air in just this praise and hallelujah moment. Like she, you could tell that something on the inside was different. And it was marked yesterday by that act. And it, it, like, even talking about it now just gives me goosebumps, right? Like, it was evident. Her inside of faith being transformed. And I don't know all of her story, but I could see in that moment that God was clearly working in her and on her. And the only expression was one of pure joy. It was so cool to see. And it was so great that it was yesterday. It was yeah. off of that. Yeah. Hey, these things, somebody in that crowd yesterday, I know they saw that and they weren't a follower and were like, man, why would she? That's interesting. She's at the back end of life. She could have, whatever. I, again, I don't know her story, but they saw that and were like, oh, something is different about this. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, 100%. And I was reading Acts 8 this morning too, right? So you get this fantastic, one of the best conversion stories in all of the New Testament, in my opinion. You get the Ethiopian eunuch, right? So you got this guy, Philip, and he, he sees the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and says, hey, go run after that chariot. Runs after the chariot inside. He finds the Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading Isaiah 53, right? He's reading this, this prophecy about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And he looks at Philip and says, what does this mean? Is he talking about himself, the writer, or who is he prophesying about? And Philip starts there and explains the gospel of Jesus. In the next body of water he sees, he says, Philip, why, why would I not be baptized? No, of course I should. And he goes and does it. And that's the picture that I get out of that story is like him coming out of that water with his hands in the air, realizing the, the grace of the gospel in his life that he now gets to be a part of and benefit from. And it's like, man, if we have a position that isn't that about this tradition in the New Testament that we see is really, really, really important and actually a command of Jesus in the New Testament also, right? then what is that saying about the position of our heart? I, I always try to flip that question on its head when people are like, oh, but do I really need to be baptized? It's like, why, why wouldn't you be? Because uh, we get all these great stories of, of the life transformation and that being the, the jumping off point. Can, real quick, can, Jason, can you to explain, because we talked about this in the office the other day, about that word baptism. I know that's a piece of this conversation, and you were just talking about the way in which this word was translated and how it, it does, it has, it has brought some confusion around it. I think that would be a really helpful disclaimer here just to really drive that out. Yeah, so when we think about the word baptism, I shared, I think I mentioned it quickly in one of the services. It's the Greek word baptizo, and when that word was first translated in the in the scriptures, or I'm sorry, in the Greek, it, it had no religious connotation. It literally just meant 
to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. It was, uh, you can Google it today. The word baptizo was used to describe ships that sank in battle. Like it got hit and it was baptizo. It was, it, it submerged. Okay, that's what happened. It's used in an ancient pickle recipe. You take cucumbers and you baptizo them in the brine. It was used to describe uh, how you dye cloth. You take the cloth and you baptizo, you immerse it into the dye. So it had no religious connotation. So when we think about baptizo, it's literally to dip, to plunge, to immerse. So you take something and you stick it underwater. That's what the word means. Now, where it gets a little fuzzy for us is that when the the New Testament was translated from Greek into English, they did not trans, translate that word. Because if they were going to translate it, they would say, hey, they immersed this person. They submerged this person. That would take the English word that's the equivalent to the Greek word, and you just swap them out. But that's not what they did. They they did a thing called transliterated. In, in other words, they took that Greek word and they made it into an English word. And that's where we get our word baptism. So the problem is when you take a word and you turn it into a new word, you then have the authority to give it a new definition. And that's what has happened with this, this thing called baptism is you ask different denominations what baptism means, and they'll give you a different definition. Because in one denomination, it means to sprinkle. To another, it means to pour. To another, it means immerse. And so when you when you make a new word, you can give it whatever definition that you want. And so that's where this, a little bit of the confusion around bab- baptism comes from. But the Greek word, baptizo, means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. So that's why we here at Quad City we practice baptism by immersion. So that's that's the piece there. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to Romans 6. Like it is, it's an important piece of the story of all who come to Christ. Like Paul in Romans chapter 6, he says this in verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, and he has the expectation that everybody in the church there has been baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may have new life. For if, that's a big word, if we have been united with him in his death like this, i.e. through baptism, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So there's this connection point. That is the outward sign of the covenant that God's doing in our hearts. Um, And so the, the goal of this weekend, again, was not to say in any way to diminish the expectation of the sign of the covenant. It was just to say, you can't just do that outward thing. You can't just have been dunked as a baby or been dunked at church camp or been dunked at, as a, a, a sense of fire insurance. And now that I've done that outward thing, then I'm fine. That's, that's exactly what the Jewish people were doing with circumcision. We'll just do the outward thing. Sure, there's no faith of Abraham. There's no repentance being practiced, but we did the outward thing. And baptism as an outward thing, just doing the dunking under the water without the faith and without the repentance, it's meaningless. Again, it's it's the woman washing her hair under the tub. If it doesn't have the spiritual connotation where it's a transformation of my heart, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't really matter in the end. 
That's really good. And I think it drives right into the the kind of thought on application that I had this morning, which is, um, you know, baptism being the sign of the new covenant, covenant is the closest translation, right, to, to, um, to circumcision that we have today. But I'm wondering, are there other traditions or practices that can maybe get a little bit sideways, similar to the idea of circumcision in the Old Testament? Some things that we do that that can be good and they can be godly, but if they're disconnected from, again, reminding us of our constant need for the gospel, they in and of themselves are not fruitful. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, two immediately come to mind. Um, going to church. Yeah. Yep. So that that becomes a replacement. That if I just go to church, well, I go to church, but do you actually worship? Is there actually faith? Is it actually joyful surrender to Jesus? Or am I just checking the attendance box? I showed up, I crossed my arms, I did the thing, and now I'm done. So mm-hmm. for many people, just going to church is an outward thing that doesn't really have any inward value. Like it's not changing anything on the inside. It's not an actual act of worship. It's just a duty that I do once a week. So as long as I go to church, then God has to give give me the star on the chart. So that's one. And this is going to sound maybe sacrilegious to some of our audience. Communion. So, um, So many of our Catholic brothers and sisters can allow communion to be the thing that that takes the place of the inward faith. Like I did the outward part, and it is a it is me doing the outward thing, and that's all I need to do. Again, it's not that I need to have faith. My faith is in the fact that I took the communion. Like that's where my faith is. It's in the fact that I did communion. And that was never meant to be be a, a, um, something that replaces the heart of faith. It is a moment of remembrance. Jesus said, do this, as you mentioned in our moment here in Prescott this weekend. It is a moment that Jesus says, remember me. Remember what I've done. It is a reminder of Christ, but it's also a reminder of what is to come. It is a remembrance that he is coming back. Paul said, when we take it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is, it is an outward thing, but without the inward faith, again, it's it's goldfish crackers in the nursery. It, if, if there's nothing on the inside, if there's no faith and repentance that's being practiced in that moment, then it's just a mid-morning snack. And so those are two that pop off the top of my head. There are others. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about Bible reading. There's several. Josh, yeah, I was going to say prayer, thinking of Jesus when he's saying, you know, don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corner and there's out there hollering off yeah. and doing all the things. That's not what it is. Instead, go into your closet and pray yeah. like the secret. And he says the same thing about giving, right? Well, you give all of these things, but you neglect this and you neglect that. Um, it, Which is the message throughout all of the prophets. You are doing all of these outside things, yet nothing about what I've commanded you to do to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So I don't even want your sacrifices. That's what it was in the Old Testament, right? All Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel was the, hey, you have not lived up to your command to do what I've called you to do. So don't even offer me your, they don't mean anything. And that's what these out these rituals can become. They can become these things that are, are no longer meaningful 
Um, because they're just the thing that we do. We just show up and do the thing. We say the thing. We do the prayer. We do the whatever. And so it's always interesting that God sets up these practices to remind us of our need really for him. And we, as people, just take it and just make it the thing, right? We just, we make it the thing that now is what our faith is. And you can go through the motions really, really easily, right? You know, somebody was asking about the Lord's Prayer, you know, hey, how come we don't say the Lord's Prayer, you know, with communion? And I'm like, well, it's really just, we just don't recite those kind of things. Not that it's not good, but it can just, we used to say the Lord's Prayer before every football game, but none of my guys on my football team were trying to follow Jesus, but we all knew the Lord's Prayer. We all said it right? All the way. So again, I think that's just the reminder is very quickly, we have to be careful. That's where the outward act uh, uh, has to be a reflection of the inward thing. The Lord's Prayer doesn't matter if you're just reciting it as an outward act, unless it is a reflection of the heart of faithfulness. Yeah, 100%. Again, to your point, I mean, like, for whatever reason, I personally say the Lord's Prayer all the time, right? Like, I grew up Catholic. It was the thing that we did. (laughs) And for me, like, I reclaimed meaning in it Mm. as a, you know, Bible-believing Christian, as a a, a born-again Christian, and realized the power of it. So for me, it's like this thing that's ingrained in me, and now it's got this whole new meaning that yes. just being a, a thing that I memorized. It didn't oh, know it's so about powerful. It, so so powerful. But when it just becomes things you recite, oh, yeah, you yeah. can lose it really quickly. Yeah, so I guess there's just a the little bit of hope in, uh, you know, this week as you're thinking about the things that you do as a follower of Jesus on a regular basis, as you, hopefully this, this allows you to take a step back and to really consider what am I doing in these moments when I take communion? What am I doing? And we try really, really hard during our communion meditation moments to drive to, hey, this can't become just ritualistic. It can't be just a tradition. It's got to mean more than that. For Jesus, it meant more than that. Um, so, I mean, that's really in my mind where the application lands with some of this today is uh, how, how do we reconsider the things that we're doing, the the rituals or the traditions, and hopefully in the hope of reclaiming newer meaning, right? Revived meaning in some of those moments. Yeah, I think also too, Jason's touching on for parents and grandparents. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a really powerful moment. Um, All of us have kids thinking about the things that we're doing, especially growing up. We've shared, you know, on this podcast already that we grew up, uh, a couple of us, without faith in our family. And so I didn't have that that soil that was produced. Now there was people who produced soil, right? My, my grandma was praying prayers that I believe are going to be unlocked years to come still in my life. But anyways, I think about that for my boys. Like what, what are me and my wife doing that is preparing the soil? So when the gospel comes, it will produce fruit. Man, that was such a powerful moment as a parent. And I'm sure grandparents, because we always hear grandparents are always so mm-hmm. worried, so concerned. My grandkids have walked away. And I get it. I, I completely understand that, that we actually have a role to play. We can mm-hmm. do something, right? We can actually do something in this. And I think the uh, the second half, so I gave those two kind of application takeaways there at the end. And I think the second one is so important. And, I, and Brendan, you just affirmed that whole thing. When you say, I had, I had somebody, they taught me the Lord's prayer and it, and it was ritualistic at the time, but now you can sit back and celebrate it. And I think about the first time I had, uh, a a woman come up and she was baptized as a baby. So she came from a Catholic background and she was, she had been baptized and I had done a sermon on baptism and, and I'd talked about how all throughout the New Testament, there is this expectation of faith before you're baptized. There is an expectation that it comes from faith and produces faithfulness. 
and said, look, that, that moment when you were a baby and were baptized, that, that was a f- reflection of the faith of your parents, but it's not something you chose. Just like the baby on uh, eight days old in the hospital doesn't choose to be circumcised. It has no spiritual connotation for that child. It may for the parents, but it doesn't for the child. The same thing happens with baptism when we're baptizing. And so this woman comes and she's like in tears. She's like, I don't want to dishonor my mom and my dad and my grandparents by getting rebaptized. And I, and her mom is standing there with her as she's saying this to me. And, and both of them are just in tears. And I said, here's what I know. Every time that I've had this conversation with someone, I always look and I say, look, what in that moment when your parents did that, all they wanted, their heart's desire was just to see their child right with God. They did everything they knew to do in that moment to see their child get right with God. That's That was the heart of that moment. And I said, I don't look at that somehow as some that you're undoing what they did in that moment. Actually, what's happening is when you choose this for yourself, you are actually fulfilling the life that your parents spoke over you. They were prophesying over you in that moment, and now you get to you get to choose it. You get to see that come to pass in your life. And the mother's just nodding her head. That's right. That's right. Because she just wanted her child to be right with God, and she did what she knew to do in that moment to get her her kids right with God. And now that's actually being fulfilled by their daughter putting their faith in Jesus for themselves. So uh, don't look at it, any of these, whether it's uh, going to Bible school, learning memory verses, learning the Lord's Prayer, doing the rosary beads, going to church, uh, VBS, or getting ha- having been baptized, whatever the thing is, these are actually good blessings that God gives us. And when we choose to do them for ourselves out of a heart that has been transformed by faith, they have powerful effects in our life. Yeah, that's that's good. And I think a really powerful perspective on any of these traditions or rituals that we would have all grown up with or some of us would have grown up with. So, all right. Thanks, guys. I think that's enough for today. Thank see, you. See you next time. Yep. Well, that's a wrap on episode 10 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We hope it was helpful in bringing some more context to Sunday's message. As always, if you have any thoughts or questions on the message from Sunday, we encourage you to go to quadcity.church Romans, where you can submit any questions you have to be answered right here on the show. We hope you have a great rest of your week, and we can't wait to see you again next time.